You're listening to The Book Alchemist, the podcast which celebrates the magic of storytelling and the joy of great books. I'm Heather Sutty and today's guest is an award-winning author from Glasgow. Alan Parks has written six gritty crime novels so far. We discuss his work, his love of travel and his reading habits. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. What have you been up to of late? What have I been up to of late? I've been working, which is always a bit dull, trying to get the next book finished. So yeah, that's it's been that really, before Christmas and just now. So hopefully the end is in sight. So hopefully we'll get it done soon. And then, then I'll have a couple of weeks off and then start the next bloody one. Start the next one. <laughs> you can say bloody because one of your bloody. books is called Bloody January. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, just the usual stuff really, working. You're always away. I follow you on Twitter, otherwise known as X, and you're always posting pictures of you having a pint or various types of meals in various locations globally. Why are you always on the go? Well, it's a weird one. I, I tend to do a lot more work when I'm away. I'm not quite sure why, but um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a change of scene or something. But if I go away for three or four days, I'll get as much done as I would in a fortnight here. I don't wow. really know why. So sometimes it's travel for work for book festivals and stuff and sometimes it's just to go away and try and get something finished so for some reason I tend to write quite well in airports and trains and hotels so I don't know why <laughs> but um yeah so that's why it is really okay tell me about the forthcoming book what's it called and what's it about the next one is probably called the July Graves that's pro working title and it's kind of about I'm sure it'll end up not being called that but it's sort of about Lennox Castle Hospital which was a hospital which I think Celtic Trading Ground is on, Lennox Townway, which in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s was um, what was known as a mental institution. And as these things can be, it was pretty grim. So it's about people who lived there or were in there and um, various other things that tie it all together. How did you get into writing? It's a funny question. People are, I don't, and I wish I had some sort of smart answer. I don't really know. <laughs> um, I just kind of started. I was, I was, li- I was living... I'd moved back here from London, but I got asked to go back to work three times, three days a week. So I went up and down the train all the time. And what were you doing? I was working for Warners as a consultant, doing my old job, but now as a consultant for some bizarre reason. I think so I understand. Was that A&R? No, no, no. I was a creative director, so I commissioned the artwork and the videos and the photographs and some of the marketing for bands. So yeah, so I was kind of stuck on the train five hours, well, ten hours a week. So... Um, you know, for the first couple of weeks, I just slept the whole time there. Then I thought mm-hmm. I better find something to do. So started writing a little bit about Glasgow and, and it kind of grew from there, really. It was trying to find something to do on the train that was not just looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been back here and I went to night classes in um industrial past of Glasgow, which was good because one week you went to the lecture, next week you went to the actual place. And because it was the industrial bits of Glasgow, it wasn't the kind of touristy or the nicest architectural Bits, it was uh, Govan and Milton and Springburn, all these places I'd been when I was young. And it sort of got me thinking about it again, about the times I was there in the early 70s and these places I hadn't been for a long time. So that's sort of led into it well, as well, I think. How many books have you written now? Oh, God, six. Yes, yeah, six. Doing quite well then. I know, one a year, you have to churn them out. <laughs> and the first one was called Bloody January. Yeah. That was just coincidental. It wasn't intended to be, you know, I don't think anyone writes a first book thinking this is going to be part of a series. It was just called that coincidentally. And then when I went to the publishers, they said, well, assuming the next one will have February in the title. I was like, (laughs) yes, yes, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) Never crossed my mind. So um, that's how we got into that. So that was lucky it was called January. So um, that's how 
they got their names. So you're now a full-time novelist? Uh, pretty much, yeah. 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 And is it quite a lonely job? I suppose it's not a job. It's, is it, what is it? How would you describe well, it? Well, it's a job, really. I mean, you know, I write a book a year, I get paid for it. You have to put it in a certain time. It's not like you're sitting waiting for divine, you know. Yeah, inspiration. So, yeah, it's kind of a job, like like other jobs. Is it lonely? It can be a little bit. I mean, I used to work in an office with like 50 people and you kind of... It's a big advantage not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, yes. sometimes you're a bit like, you know, people were going to the office Christmas party and I'm like, I never go to office Christmas parties anymore. <laughs> and everyone hates them and I'm like, I wish I could go. Um, <laughs> it can be, but I, I, I tend to write better in public places, which is weird. I, I'm not very good at sitting in a silent room. Uh-huh. So I'll go to the cafe or I'll go to the library or somewhere that there's things going on because I find if it's just me sitting there in the kitchen, to, it gets really... Oppressive, yeah, maybe. And, and not very inspiring to be honest. I'd rather be where there's things going on, and you know, luckily, I, I don't find it difficult to concentrate in those. I mean, I know a lot of people literally have to sit in silence, and they're the opposite, know, yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite, I'm happy to sit in a train and I'd rather have things going on. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe that's part of the you not wanting to sit in your by yourself, you know, you want to see something, but it's fine, you know. And that's and they have these, you know, you go to a lot of book events and book fairs and stuff, and it's always good to kind of get out of the out the kitchen. Do you have a favourite library in the city? You live in Glasgow, like, do you have a favourite library? Mitchell, that was the one I'm always in because, as as you probably know, it has a Glasgow floor, which is every book about Glasgow, maps, newspapers. So when you have to research something like, you know, the books are set in the 70s, so you have to kind of go, well, was that building there? Was it knocked down? Was it, you know, that's where you go and and you can get everything there. And it's... um, really handy to have and they have giant maps with them um, you know from the, the 1670s that are kind of like a one city blocks about this size so you see what the pubs were and number and then there's these things called post office directories i think which are mm-hmm. kind of before yellow pages i think yellow pages started about 73 and it's these big burgundy books and you can look up who lived where you know in, in each street and wow. that sort of stuff so you can do a sort of reverse detective thing so all that stuff's great and that and the mitchell has all of it and the staff that work there are not really helpful as well so that's a, a the favorite one probably um that i go to but to be honest i quite like the most libraries i'm not that fussy <laughs> yeah yeah and when you're writing like do you have like jk rowling obviously had favorite coffee shops in edinburgh yeah. that she went to like do you have favorite places that you like a favorite greasy spoon or a pub like yeah, I, I do quite a lot in the tesco cafe in mary Hill. <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously the most glamorous place in glasgow but for some reason it seems to go quite well so i go up there and there's a where there's a little cafe in what used to be the kelvin hall it's a kind of sports center now yeah but there's a wee cafe at the front I go there sometimes, and um, yeah, it's weird the places that seem to work. It's um, I don't I don't know why. I, it's those kind of yeah, the Tesco works and and that place works. And to be honest, also Tinderbox in um, Princess Square for some reason. Right, wow. So I don't quite know why these places uh-huh. work, but I, I get quite a lot done in those. I love when I see pictures of you like in an airport departure. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking heavily. It's like, here's a pint. Here's I know, a I'm a terrible wine. nervous traveller. So I Are hate you? flying, yeah. Right. So um, it's kind of more a necessity than an enjoyment to get on the plane. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, you do find yourself at quarter to six in the morning having a pint of tennis. You're like, Jesus, this is a bit brutal. But um, <laughs> you kind of have to to get, well, I kind of have to to get on the plane. So yeah. 
And I, again, I do, as I said, I, I write quite a lot on airports. So I always yeah. go a bit early and get some stuff done. I find them a fascinating place, way, way more so than, you know, like bus stations, train stations, you know, libraries or yeah. offices and things because there's so much emotion that air. There's so much. And I, 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 often you change it at Amsterdam because, you know, and I was sitting in Amsterdam airport I was drinking a pint, obviously, yeah. and I'm doing this one, and I'm sort of looking about, oh, what's, what's going on over there? And then, then it went, you know, and I looked up at the thing, and it was at board. I was, <laughs> so I got up, literally left the computer on the table, oh, no. got on the plane, <gasps> opened my bag, and went, I'll take out my, I don't have it. And it was panic stations because the only copy of the book was on that. I'm going to have to get back. I'm going to have to phone the publisher and say, we're going to have to put it back three months. I have to try and remember it. And of course, if you're a prudent person, you back everything up. Of course, nobody does. <laughs> you know, so I was like, So there was panic for about a day. Then I phoned um, the airport and the Dutch being very efficient. Hello, Mr. Parks. Yes, we have your computer. I was like, thank you. Oh. I was like, no, thank you so much. I was like, Jesus, calm down. Um, so I got it back. And then, of course, for the next week, I diligently backed everything up and then never did it again. Yeah, so, so that was a bit scary. But yeah, you get easily distracted in the airports and... Um, yeah. Just walked away from the computer and left it there, yeah. which is not not good. Well, that was a, that was a lucky find. Yeah. So when it comes to you know your peers, like do you have like a network of friends or colleagues that you run edits past before you submit them to the publisher? No. Oh, <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? I don't. I know a lot of people do. They have like readers and stuff. No. Uh, the first, my first, the first book, John Niven, the author, he read it. And he was very clever about it. He said, you've got a book and a half. Oh. He said, this strand over here is another book. Take that out. And so the book went from like, you know, 600 pages to 400 pages. And he was right. It was one and a half books. And I suppose having learned that, I should send the other ones to him too. But I never <laughs> do. I, uh, I don't know. I kind of I kind of go through them. And, I, and sometimes the publisher, publisher makes comments or the agent makes comments. But... I'd rather show people it when I was kind of happy and it was finished. You know, it's I don't know. It just it's it's it never really occurs to me to to get other people to read it. You mentioned John Niven. Is your relationship with him was that founded upon the fact that you both worked in the music industry in London? Yeah, we worked in the same office. Worked in London Records. No way. Yeah, for God years, for a long time, it was the same wee tiny office. So that's how I met him. And um, yeah, it was it was he. I, I think I'd been working there about a year or so. Then he. Came and um, that was that. And it's weird, the two of us sitting in this little office suddenly decided to, well, not suddenly, but both ended up writing books. So yeah. Kind of an odd one. I used to live in London and my boss, I don't know if you know this chap, his name's Paul Morrison. I know Paul Morrison. <laughs> he gave me my first job in London oh, and um, I used to work on Tea in the Park oh, right. and various other things. I worked with the Spice Girls and Prodigy oh. and uh, all of these great bands and... I always remember he was he was always either going to Independiente Records or London Records, yeah. and you know way back then I mean I still am I find I find the music business fascinating because you know it's very easy to be starstruck but it's also it's fascinating in terms of like the politics of it the decisions that get made and you know you said yourself that you you worked in design and mm. you know it's like it's it's a fascinating industry isn't it? It can be yeah it's it's it is I mean it's so different now you know, I would be completely lost. But at the time I was working there really was the kind of boom time just after CDs. Mm -hmm. So CDs sold for like £14, you know, and all this malarkey. 
and uh, people still about singles and you know so there was a lot of money floating about which you know they made a lot of money fine but that also meant that you did get the opportunity to spend some decent money on photographers or videos or or, or art, art workers and stuff so you you were more able to experiment it wasn't quite such a oh god you know we've got 50 pounds don't waste it you know mm -hmm. you were kind of able to and london records really good with that they were like well if it doesn't work we'll just do something you know they were kind of quite encouraging if things went wrong so I'm glad I did it at that time because I think it was sort of the golden age of 80s and design mm. and videos were all sort of, you know, people used to tune in at nine o'clock Channel 4 to watch Madonna's new video. You know, it was yeah. like that. It was a big thing. So and now, you know, obviously it's, it's a completely different ballgame, but I think I probably had the best years of it, I think. Mm -hmm, for sure. And isn't it weird that, you you know, you both worked in the same office and you've both gone on to be hugely successful authors? Well, I don't know about hugely, but <laughs> <laughs> mildly. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. He he, um, he went to Independiente and then left and sort of wrote uh, wrote the, the first book, his first book, Kill Your Friends. Wait, I've seen the film, not read the book, seen the film. So, yeah, sort of under the radar. And um, he'd written, he was a journalist, he, kind of, he wrote things for magazines and stuff. But it was still a bit of a surprise. Here's a finished book, you know. So that was weird. And then when, when I, you know, I was working with him on some TV thing. I think that obviously never got made. <laughs> and he said to me, "Oh, you should write a novel." And I said, "Well, I have, and I had, and I just written it and put it in a drawer and thought, you know, that's that's that really. I could have wrote it for an amusement." And he sort of grudgingly said, "Do you want me to read it?" And I was like, "Well, if you want." <laughs> so that was yeah. So it was kind of weird that the two of us ended up doing the same thing. Yeah. Can you see yourself doing anything else now at this point in your life? No, I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I can't. I mean, when I when I left, well, when I was ejected from the record industry, made redundant like everyone else, I couldn't think what to do because my job was pretty specialised. Mm -hmm. It didn't really translate that well to other things. So I thought I need to find something to do that's just me, that's not reliant on getting a job or going mm -hmm. to an office. So the only thing I could really think of was writing things. Mm -hmm. So... That's how it sort of came about. Have you always been a big reader? Yeah, all the time. I mean, well, I used to have my mum and dad when I was wee used to go to a dinner dance on a Saturday night in a place called the Glen Hill in Renfrew. Which sounds very posh. Uh, yeah, well, and of course, muggins <laughs> get dragged along because I was only six or seven. I couldn't stay in the house for myself. And I waged about a two-year war <laughs> that I could bring a book and read a book at the dinner table, which was, you know, absolutely a no, no, no. Uh, but eventually won. So, um, yeah, so... <laughs> Basically, I spent most of my time reading, yeah. I was a big, big reader. Still am, actually. It's, but, yeah, a, a lot. I mean, actually, most people in my family actually read a lot as well. It was, there was always books lying about and things. And, I, th you know, my dad had the Laidlaw books, and that's the first time I'd read them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there was always books about. And, you know, if if you if you said when you were wee, can I get a toy? You know, if you went to the shops, no, but you can get a book. That, mm -hmm. was, that was always a Brilliant discipline. Thing, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, ended up with a lot of books. <laughs> Love it. So, when it comes to reading, you know, what type of reader are you? Do you Are you Kindle? Are you audiobook? Are you, what are you? No, I'm sadly book. Yes. I, yes. I no tried. sadly about it. Well, because I travel a lot, I keep thinking Kindle would be so much easier. And I've tried it about three times and I just can't do it. Mm, I don't know what, what it is. I just... I can't find my place. Yeah. I, I just find it weird. I don't really like it. Although, practically speaking, it would be so much easier mm. if I could. Mm -hmm. Audiobook, it just sent me to sleep, I'm afraid. If someone's <laughs> sort of talking in your ear with head. And, you know, and they say, you know, they say, when, when you do your book, they send you the audiobook and you have to sort of approve it. And I manage about, you know, 20 minutes. And I'm like, yeah. I thought, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Sounds good. <laughs> so I'm not, so it's basically book books. 
which is a bit annoying just to cart them about everywhere. Yeah, but, they're um, heavy. They're heavy stuff. But, you know, I did try to kindle once when we went to Harris in the way up the island and it, it broke. It went, and the, the, the screen went all jaggy and you couldn't read it. And I was like, what am I going to do? It must be the fresh you know, air. Yeah, and you know, sometimes when you go to like rented houses for holiday, they have like books that have been, people have left. Let's go through all them, try to find something that wasn't Jeffrey Archer. But mm -hmm. I was like, I'm never having this happen to me again, mm -hmm. stranded with nothing to read. So Kindles, I wish I could, but... You can't. Okay. I'm with you on yeah. that. Same with audiobooks, unless it's a memoir. Yeah. So you, we've established that you read a lot. What do you do with your books when you're finished with them? Like, do you pass them on to pals? Do you keep them? Do you recycle I'm them? I'm the most unsentimental person with books. I like to chuck them away. Are you ruthless? When well, you I say chuck them away, well, what do you mean by that? Well, if I finish it on a bus, I just leave it on the bus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have no sentimental attachment wow. to them whatsoever. And, you know, I don't... <laughs> Every so often, it's it's sad. There's so many of them. A woman comes around and helps me. She takes me away to be sent to people or, or recycle, you know, whatever they do with them. But I'm just, I'll just give it to them. You know, I, uh -huh. I don't have a an attachment to them, right. which kind of means that you sometimes end up buying the same book about three times because you think, oh, I need to look at that bit. I uh -huh. chucked it away. So you have to get one from Amazon. So um, Other bookshops are available. I'm actually available. So... Yeah, I'm very unsentimental about them. I don't keep them or go, you can borrow this, but I must get it back, uh -huh, you know, all that sort uh -huh, of stuff. Uh -huh. No, no, no great interest in them, which is kind of a shame, but... That's funny. So lots of books that I've read remind me of a particular space and time in my life. So, yeah. for example, when I first moved to London, when I was 21, the first book that I read was handed to me by the guy who also started at KLP, yeah. which is where I worked the same day as me. And it was... Uh, perfume by Patrick All Suskind right. and I had never read anything like this uh, A because he was like a French author and uh, B it was set in the 1870s <laughs> and C it was all flowery florally uh, aroma type based thriller uh, so you don't have any because you chuck your books away or recycle them terrible, you've got no love for them do you does that mean you don't remember what you were reading at a particular point in your sometimes, life sometimes yeah I do I mean I remember I, I was reading Salem's Lot when I was about 12, I think, Stephen King. And I stopped reading it at night in my bed because I was too scared. Aww. I remember sitting on our couch <laughs> in the living room in like a bright sunny day, like, reading this bit, hoping to try and finish it before nighttime came and, you know, the vampires <laughs> came for me. So I remember that. So yeah, this, some of them you remember where you're reading them, yeah. What are you reading just now? What am I reading just now? Well, I'm sort of in the middle of doing a bit of research. So it's all a bit weird. Do you pause? Reading when you're doing your research? No, I kind of read both. I, and of course, you've asked me now, and can I bloody remember? I've read some books that I've read for, for the book to, to research, and then what did I read, read? Oh, God, it's a book that I can't remember. This is terrible, isn't it? I, should... <laughs> I think it's called the, Ho the Disappearing House or The House That Disappears or something. Okay. Stephen Kingy horror book. Right, okay. By somebody whose name is That's hugely not Stephen helpful. King. <laughs> yeah. For everyone but we involved. have Google, so it's yeah, fine. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, there's, there's, there's researchy books. And book books, so there mm -hmm. tends to be a few different ones on the go at the same time. And I, I read a, a really amazing book called "Please Tell Me That You Will." <laughs> I think, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Please tell me that you will kill yourself, which was a book about Germany just at the very end of the war, and because there was all these rumours and reality about how badly the Russians were going to treat the Germans when they got there, there was a kind of wave of mass suicide where people sort of electively killed themselves before the Russians got there. So it's these weird little bits of history are quite interesting that you don't really know much about. And 
it's a, I've made it sound stupid, but it's a really, really good book. It's uh, it's very interesting about what people do when they're faced with what they imagine to be the worst thing that's ever going to happen to them. Some of them, you know, literally would rather electively kill themselves. Or so it was a kind of sort of hysteria thing that went across Germany as the Russians advanced. So, and people were like, please kill yourself. Don't let me hear that you've fallen prey to the Russians and stuff. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's a lot of different things. Does that not give you nightmares? I mean, Stephen King as a kid. I mean, that sounds nightmarish to me. No, real things always don't don't bother me. It's scary books that bother me. It's, if it's real, it's fine. You know, it's it's kind of what it is. You know, there's uh -huh. no point. But and, and it's factual. It's not sort of written to make you go, ooh, ooh, what's going to uh -huh. happen next? You know, so it's uh, yeah. So there's a lot of of different odd books. Do you enjoy what you do? Do I enjoy what I do? I do kind of. I enjoy the beginning. <laughs> of each book because you're kind of wandering about trying to think what I put in or that looks quite good or you get excited about things and and then the middle's a bit grim because you're just in the sort of trying to get through it you know and you always think god this is awful you know you also <laughs> Jesus god um so yeah it's 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 good fun but it has its ups and downs some bits are more fun than others obviously right. and you always think when you finished it well, that's really bad you know you're like jeez <laughs> but you kind of have to let it go at some point. Members of Bookface, there are three and a half thousand of us in 48 countries. Love your books. Oh, good. I think you know that. <laughs> well, it's not, I came to the thing. It's very nice. But it's, that's a nice bit about it, you know, because you kind of spend nine months sitting in the airport or the kitchen table writing a book. And then you meet people who, who who have enjoyed it, and that's a good, that's a that's a really nice thing. Yeah. You know, they say, "Oh, I really liked that bit," or "Oh, I stayed up all night reading it," or "That bit reminds me of my auntie Teeny." You know, you know. So yeah. it's kind of nice when people tell you about it. Yeah. Of course, some of them go, "It wasn't very good." You know, fine, it's fine. Everyone's entitled to it. Yeah. You know, or they tell you what's wrong in it factually, uh -huh. which is always good. Such a weird thing that there wasn't it. It's like you well, know, people to the come up and they go, "I think you'll find the number twenty three bus did oh. not go via Spring Boy oh, in nineteen seventy two. And I'm like, "Is that right?" Oh, I'll certainly change that in the next edition. Think. I know. I I know. It's fine. My boyfriend's a musician, mm. and people say say to him, "Oh, I didn't like that high fidelity record that yeah. you played on, or I didn't like yeah. that." And it's just like, mate, I didn't ask for your opinion. <laughs> I know, I don't go up to him and go, do you know what? I suspect you're probably not a very good accountant. <laughs> you know, could you just, I know you would never know, do that, could would you? Could you buck your ideas up a bit? It's like, I know you would but, never do that. You'd yeah. never challenge somebody on their on their I work know, unless you're invited to do it. It's kind of odd, but I don't mind. I mean, it's people, if they have an opinion, at least of put some sort of investment well, they into care. it. That's, yeah. that's my take And if on they it. don't like it, that's fine. Yeah, I, don't I like, think there's I don't... nothing worse than being neutral or vanilla. Yeah. It's almost like... I mean, I don't like every book I read, so there's no reason why people should, everyone should like my yeah. book. So. I think also there's, people have this thing maybe where if they don't fully love every part of it, then they say that they can't love a book. Whereas I love so many different books and so many different authors for so many different reasons. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of books is yeah. because you can get different things. You know, you can love or loathe a character and still enjoy the story. Yeah, but you get some weird, I mean, the books are fairly graphic and fairly uh, swear word heavy, shall we say. <laughs> and um, I did a book thing in, in Perth. In Scotland. In Scotland, yeah. And, this, and at the end, this sort of elderly lady came up to me and she said, she said, I like your book. I said, oh, thanks, man. She said, it's far too much swearing. And I was like, all right. I said, well, you know, she said, I worked as a nurse in um, the Royal in um, a &E for 12 years. I never heard a swear word. I was oh, like, she must have had your earplugs in. I was like, are you, I, I, obviously I was tempted to go, are you effing joking? But um, 
and you kind of go, okay, thinking, okay. But, you know, people take different things from them. It's fine, you know. I, I don't, I, I'm fairly thick-skinned about it. Yeah. I don't get upset if you'll say it's bloody awful. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, I, as I said, I don't like everything, so. Yeah. I think it's really important, though, when you do love a book, to really, to let the author know. Yeah. Or to let your friends know that you've really enjoyed it because I think there's something quite special, particularly with the advent of, you know, AI and, you know, mm. algorithms that, you know, when you go onto maybe a platform like Amazon, it will say you might like this next. Yeah. I think you can't beat a personal recommendation. No, and it's what it's, it's we, we used to, same with the record industry, used to spend, you know, stupid amount of money on marketing and promotion. And they did these kind of analyses. And the one thing, is your friend going, have you heard this record? It's really good. That is the number one response. You will go and listen to the record. If you see an advert saying, somebody's new record, how great. You don't go, oh, I must go and find that out and have a listen. You know, but if a friend says to you, I think you'll like this record, that's the biggest thing. So people, word of mouth, sort of recommendations is always the best thing with books as in a lot of things, really. Absolutely. Do you have a favourite author or do you have a, like a favourite genre of books? No, I mean... I, I used to read an awful lot of detective books and I kind of read a lot less now. Do you think that's because you're writing about Yeah, it? plus I'm scared of copying them without realising. Ah, right, subliminally. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. I think, yeah, yeah. Because I think, oh, it's a really good idea. And yet, yeah, it's a good idea. It was someone else's book two years ago. So, <laughs> you know, I kind of don't read so many of them now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I'm, I'm not very judgmental. As long as it's a good book, I don't really mind what it's about. Or, you know, uh, I read all sorts, I think. I think your books would make an amazing TV series because let's face it, since the demise of Taggart... <laughs> Which I base every book I've written on, I must confess. <laughs> because, uh, you know, Liam McIlvany uh, is great. He's, fun, he's really funny. But he's really diligent about his research. And we were having a dinner and he said to me, Alan, how many policemen did you speak to before you wrote your book? And I was too embarrassed to say none because I didn't. And I sort of said, uh, I think it was two thinking that's it. And he went, yeah, I spoke to eight or nine. And I was like, Shh. And if you read his books, you can tell. <laughs> and if you read my books, it's basically Tiger. There's a boss, a middle guy, and a lower guy. And I sort of thought, that's how it works. That's how the police works. You know, if that's good enough. So there's not a lot of uh, police detail in there, you know, of what Sergeant Major and what would, how they would set things up. But so in a weird way, because I'm not that interested in that stuff, he kind of operates a bit more like a private eye. He kind of operates by himself, largely. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so it's a funny one. Can you see it, you know, your work in the, in all of these novels being translated to film or TV? Like, is that something you would yeah, enjoy, well, they, do you think? Option, but everything gets optioned, as you shouldn't find out. Oh, does it? Yeah, everything gets I mean, literally anything gets optioned. And of course, when you first get something, oh great, it's going to be a TV show next week. Of course, it never happens. So it's been like that up and down. It's been close uh, with Amazon. We almost had an Amazon version, but you kind of quickly learn that it's very unlikely to happen. Do you think? Yeah, there's, I mean, it's a it's set in the past, which means it's more expensive to make. But it's that's what makes it really, really know, great because it's, cause it's, it's retro. Double the budget. Right. Okay. It's quite male, so I don't know. I mean, it would be nice, but I'm not holding my breath. You know, you right. kind of think, well, maybe one day, but I don't know. I think it'd be fabulous, and I also would envisage that the soundtrack would be mega. <laughs> the soundtrack would be good, but yeah, but you know, ultimately, it's not up to me. So there's not much point in worrying about it. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. So what happens next after you finish your next book? I get about three months off, and then I do the next one. So it's pretty. Uh, I mean, one a year is it, it takes about nine months. So 
you get a couple of months off, but then you're already starting to think about what the next one is. So it kind of it's pretty much full 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 time full stuff really. Full tilt. Yeah. We loved having you at Bookface in January last year. Yeah. Was that how long ago it was? Yeah, oh we would love to have you again sure. when you come back. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Alan Parks, thank you very much. You're very welcome, thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take 30 seconds to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps. New episodes drop every Thursday. Thanks so much for listening. Listening.